welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Misty Griffin. Misty is the author of her best-selling memoir, Tears of the Silenced. Misty wrote her memoir to raise awareness about child abuse and sexual assault cover-up among the Amish and other strict religious groups. Misty Griffin's inspiring story takes you through her ordeal as a severely abused child and then her experiences as a young woman in an Amish community, a place where pedophilia was never reported or punished, and finally her escape and efforts to save her sister and bring the perpetrators to justice, all while adapting to a modern life she had never known. Now a registered nurse, happily married, and with a child of her own, Misty has dedicated her life to save children from the hell she endured. She is the consulting producer of the documentary series about child abuse in Amish and other cloistered communities, which aired on Peacock this past May as Sins of the Amish. She has also been to D.C. accompanied by her former Mennonite friend, Jasper Hoffman, and spoken personally to a member of Congress about sexual assault and child abuse among the Amish and Mennonites. Misty hopes to pass legislation to mandate reporting of child abuse in cloistered communities such as the Amish and to extend Aaron's Law, which mandates age-appropriate sex abuse prevention education in public schools to private schools and religious communities. Misty's Change.org petition, Hashtag Invisible, calls on Congress, the Senate, and President Biden to take action. Hi, Misty. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, So, you know, I have a lot to ask you regarding your book and um, your the documentary about you, so let's get started. So um, I read that you grew up in Arizona and Washington State. Can you tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like there? Yeah. Um, my childhood was a little bit different than most. Um, my mother, she met, um, I guess you would say, a child molester on the run. He'd been on the mm. run since the 70s, and this was the 80s. Wow. And um, he kept us isolated on, like, gold mines and shuffled us back and forth from Washington to Arizona, um, winter and fall. And then finally, when I was about 11 years old, we Mm -hmm. moved to a ranch in northern Washington, and he just kept us isolated on the ranch for the next eight years, pretty much. Um, We had to dress and live like the Amish. And, yeah, it was a very, very abusive situation. Was he Amish at all? He wasn't. He was born in uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. So when he would go for family reunions, he would see the Amish and he idolized the Amish. And mm. he liked how the women and children had to do what they were told. Wow. So he always had this fantasy of being Amish. And then oh, finally, geez. in his late 40s, he just decided to start living in um dressing like them but also it was a good cover because he was a child molester on the run so i mean it was a great cover wow oh okay um so you are the author of tears of the silence which is about your your life first with your mother and stepfather i mean if you can call him that then your life in the amish community how did you go from living a sort of normal community to living and being one of the Amish? Um, When I was 18, I tried to run away from the ranch. It was six and a half miles out of town. Mm -hmm. And that's when my stepfather said, uh, we're going to take you to a real Amish community and you're going to join the church and be Amish because he was afraid. I mean, at some point I was going to escape. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah that time they caught me but at some point I was going to escape and they didn't want you know they didn't want the police coming back Mm -hmm. asking questions so um that's they were in touch with an Amish bishop and they took us to this Amish community and the church agreed to take us in they put us they separated me and my sister put us in different families and adopted us you know unofficially adopted us into these families we had to call their mom and dad and stuff and Yeah, I joined the church. We both joined the church. My sister's still in the church. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, 
I read that you and your sister were beaten daily. Were you sexually abused yes. as well? You I'm were, sorry, what was that? Uh, were you sexually abused as well? Yes. I mean, he was a child molester. Mm. Um, he, he was wanted for child molestation near Seattle in uh, the late 60s. Uh-huh. And he skipped town. He ran to Alaska to avoid... Um, he was charged. He was... He uh, ran to Alaska to avoid being arrested and um, prosecuted. Uh Uh, He molested the two neighbor girls ages two and four. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, he ran to Alaska. He hid out in Alaska for a while, and then he came back down and hid out in the gold mines of Arizona for for years. Wow. So, yeah, he was a child molester. I mean, we have no idea what he did during that time. Um, I mean, in a way, when you were brought to the Amish community, I read that you thought, okay, I'm finally going to have a family. But then that turned out to be really crazy as well, right? Yeah. um, I thought by going to the Amish that Mm -hmm. it was going to, I was going to have a normal life and, you know, be able to get married Mm -hmm. and all of those things. And was really exciting. I couldn't believe it that mm-hmm. they were actually letting us go yeah. to this community and have a normal life. But right. um, I mean, that's not. Yeah. An outsider among the Amish is never really, that's... really part of the group. Mm. So, wow. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I quickly found out that wasn't the case. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, so how I found out about you was through a Reddit post. And, you know, you have a petition going on. But but before that, there was a documentary that aired on Peacock recently called Sins of the Amish. And you were the consulting producer. So how did this project come about? And can you tell, you know, the listening audience a little bit about it? I mean, not too much. So, you know, hopefully they'll watch it. But, you know, that's how actually I got... um, like interested because I was just like I've never really known anyone from the Amish community and just to like read your book and and because you know as someone who's not part of that community I always thought the Amish were peaceful and you know um, I guess God loving God fearing and all of that so when I read your book when I read your book I'm like whoa, <laughs> you know, what is this about? You know. So can you shed some light on that and how this project came about, Sins of the Amish? Yeah, so when I left the Amish, um, about seven years after I left, I started writing my memoir, and then I just kept trying to get the word out. I was contacting every news organization, every production company I was contacting everybody because I knew if I didn't Mm -hmm. it was highly unlikely Mm -hmm. that this issue about you know child it's child sexual abuse is what it is Mm -hmm. among the Amish and other strict religions I mean it just wasn't going to come out in a big way so that Mm -hmm. was my intent to make it huge to make it you know something that would grab national attention Mm -hmm. and that was my without doing that I mean we're just never going to change this problem so I just spent years contacting everybody and my book was self-published I never tried to get a publisher because I didn't think anybody would pick it up and Mm -hmm. it was just too out there so um, finally in 2018 I had a publisher approach me and Mm -hmm. ask to um, pick it up so I said yes Mm -hmm. and then they did a press release and that press release got um some attention and I was on Daily Mail TV and finally um, somebody from a production company was watching Uh and saw me and they said oh we want to make this into a documentary we can help you wow um so that's yeah that was it was just very lucky I was three and a half minutes on Daily Mail and they happened to see it Um, so yeah so we pitched it for a couple years and finally Peacock picked it up Mm -hmm. and I gathered all of the survivors together, put them in a group, and um, 
yeah, we made the documentary. How how was that? How was that for you seeing, I guess, these young girls or these uh, um, women who used to be who you used to be part of? I mean, was that? How was it? I mean, was that weird for you? Like knowing that you're not in that community anymore, but you're still helping them out. Um, I mean, I, I'm just trying yeah. to like figure out how, what you thought of. Like, you know, when you saw them, and you, that used to be your life, right? Yeah, I mean, most of them, by the time the documentary was made, they were my friends. I, you know, found them, interviewed mm-hmm. them, and, mm-hmm. you know, got them together for the documentary. Right. And I had been in contact with the X-Plane world uh-huh. for a couple years by that time, and I'd even helped put um, an Amish predator behind bars in Ohio. That's awesome. So. Wow. By the time we started filming, I know I was very much in the, I guess you call it the X-Plane world, Amish, Mennonites, um, Hutterites, and I'd been doing lots of, you know, advocacy work and Mm -hmm. helping and all of that. Um, So by the time the documentary came out Mm -hmm. and we were filming it, it was just like, finally, we're getting Mm -hmm. this out there. But still, I mean, even still, we made the documentary and, Uh you know, we exposed this terrible terrible thing that's happening in america's heartland Uh and where is it like where do you see it being Uh, talked about in a big way i mean it's just it's still for some reason when it comes to religion Uh the media doesn't want to touch it i mean people just don't want to they just don't want to mess with it why do you think because yeah why do you think that is I think in America, we're just conditioned to believe when it comes to religion, you just let everybody practice their religion the way they want to, and you don't interfere. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're just, that's, you know, the pilgrims, they were fleeing religious persecution in England, and Mm -hmm. they went to Holland, and then they came to the United States, and that's sort of what we believe that, you know, we're founded on, Mm. religious freedom. So that's something you don't mess with. Yeah. But... You know, religious freedom for one person can mean enslavement for thousands. I mean, yeah. it's, it should be religious freedom as long as you're not hurting others. No. And as long as children in your group are safe. Because right. children can't just get up and walk out and say, I'm leaving. Yeah. There's got to be some safeguards in place for children to make sure that they are safe. Wow. Yeah, I, I so get that. Oh, my gosh. Um, so... I, well, going back to your book, with everything that you've gone through, I mean, how did you have the strength to keep going with the many years of abuse you suffered? Um, I don't know. A lot of people ask me that. I don't know. I guess uh, when I left, I turned the bishop of the church into the police, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I knew that he was molesting his children. Oh. And I wasn't able to save those children. So after I left, I just felt guilty. It's like if I'd just done this or that or mm-hmm. something, maybe I could have saved them. Yeah. So, wow. um, you know, and then I wrote my book. I, I said if it just helps one person in my situation to know what to do, to right. to know that they can speak up, Yeah. you know, that I won't feel so guilty. And, you know, I can't just live with this secret because that's what everybody else is doing. They're just leaving and not doing anything about it and how Mm -hmm. do you live knowing that this is happening and you're not doing anything about it I I couldn't do that so I wrote the book and then I just was like the book's not enough Mm -hmm. I just felt it's just not enough it's never enough because nothing's happening right and every day that goes by children are being beaten and raped and nobody's doing anything about it Oh, um, so, I mean, is that when you decided you were going to do a petition called, um, so the hashtag is invisible. Um, what yes. is what is the mission behind this petition? So for years, I thought that if I could just get this issue out in front of the nation, that mm-hmm. somebody would step in and do something. And I realized while we were filming, while we were filming, there were two other um, two or three other documentaries that came out um, mm. about Jehovah Witness and um, something else. I don't know. And 
I realized nobody stepped in, did anything. Nobody said, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do about that? I mean, nobody did anything. They just watched the documentary and, I mean, nobody, the government doesn't step in and go check on these kids. Nothing happens. So I realized if if we're going to actually make a difference, we need something bigger. We need right. to get the American people behind this, and they need to demand that Congress put something in place to protect these kids. because. Yeah. Kids yeah. like the Amish, they are so isolated. I mean, nothing is ever going to reach them that helps. There's no mandated reporters. There's nothing for them, zero. Wow. Um, so that's why I finally sat down last year. I spent like almost a year on this petition, writing it, going over it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I got hashtag invisible. And mm-hmm. I released it with the documentary. And you know, I'm trying to get the American people behind it to say, yes, we need a child's rights act in the United States. We need something that says exactly what children are entitled to. And it doesn't matter your religion. Mm. You cannot bypass this, these children's rights in yeah. order, you know, to practice your religion. Because children are human beings and they also deserve rights. They also deserve safety. Right. You, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't gain human rights when you're 18 or 21 yeah i mean that's that shouldn't be when your human rights kick in but in the united states that's exactly when it your human rights kick in because you can grow up in these religions and they can just do whatever they want and there's no consequences for it Mm. unless you know they find out but you have to have safeguards in place to prevent it you can't just be coming behind trying to fix things after they've happened there Mm -hmm. needs to be some safeguards for these kids yeah yeah. So, yeah. So that's how I created hashtag invisible. And if you want, you can go to my website, mistygriffin.com, and it'll pop up and you can sign it and you can read about it and all the work that I'm doing on my website, mistygriffin.com. Great. Thank you. Um, so what happens to these men who sexually abuse children or even their own children? In the Amish community, does anything ever happen to them if they've been reported? Yeah, you're seeing rare cases coming out here and there of like maybe one or two getting reported. Uh And people point to them and say, oh, the Amish community is reporting them. But I mean, that you hear of maybe one or two at the most coming out on a yearly basis. And the Amish are about close to 700,000 in the United States. Oh, gosh. How many, yeah, how many cases? And then you have Mennonites on top of that, which are in the millions in the United Uh, States. And they have the same practices. Conservative Mennonites have the same practices when it comes to sexual abuse as the Amish. So, you know, they don't get reported. They, the church policy is to handle it within the church. Uh You, um, you confess to it if somebody turns you in, um, you confess in front of the church and they shun you for six months and, or I'm sorry, excuse me, they shun you for six weeks and you come back and say you repented and that's it. You're you're wow. back in the church and nobody's allowed to talk about it anymore. You know, the children are not taken out of the home. Uh, at least 95% of the cases, mm-hmm. probably higher, are mm-hmm. incest. It's <sighs> brothers with sisters, um, fathers with children. Oh my gosh. And you know, it's boys and girls. It's, it's children under the age of 14. That's what it seems to be. I mean, it's, it's a little bit different than the rest of the society, maybe. Um, you hardly ever, I've never heard of a married woman being assaulted, ever. Mm. I've never heard, unless it's by her husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, even older girls, I mean, I was 22, but in general, mm. it's children oh, well, so, okay, under so. the age of 14. So what happens if a little girl gets sexually abused, raped, and has and is pregnant? What what do they do then? Um, a lot of times, a lot of times she'll be sent like off to live with somebody um, who doesn't who you know where she's not living with her family. Oh, she went to live with her uncle for a few months or something, wow. and she will be forced to have the baby and it'll be adopted out but I mean that's not one of the most common things that I know of is Mm -hmm. um, the mothers 
when they know this stuff is happening to their daughters, they mm-hmm. give them teas. They give them like penny royal, black cohosh. Oh. Um, sometimes on a monthly basis, just wow. to make sure. And it will cause miscarriages. Or you take them to a midwife, and they like put weight on the stomach. Like I heard oh of one girl, gosh. she went to a midwife and she put her in some sort of steaming room and stacked 50 pound sacks of grain on her abdomen which was weird I thought and then she pushed on it and the girl said then she didn't know she didn't understand what they were doing they said they were going to make her feel better oh my gosh so yeah there's all kinds of stuff like that but if they do if if they catch it too late then Mm -hmm. um, they'll have the baby and it'll just be adopted by somebody else I mean, my mouth has been open for a good few minutes when you were describing this, and I'm like, gosh, oh my gosh. So these children, oh, yeah. these children have no rights whatsoever. They have no, no rights. Zero. I mean, they're not consulted. They're not consulted on oh, what they, gosh. oh no, they, they don't have any rights. I mean, as a young woman in the Amish, I had zero rights. I was 19 when I went there, and... Mm-hmm. Unless you're married, mm-hmm. I mean, you have absolutely no rights whatsoever, zero. You you only do what your father tells you to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you're married, mm-hmm. maybe maybe you could influence your husband. Yeah, but I was going to ask you. that's the extent of your rights. Wow. I and mean, that's where it ends. So once you're married, do you do have some rights or not really? No, you're just a married woman, mm-hmm. um, and maybe depends on your husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, like um, I think it's Hope says in the documentary, you have as many rights as your husband allows. So oh, wow. if he allows you to talk to him and then he takes that, I mean, he's, he's the one that takes it to the ministers or wherever oh, and gosh. says something. Um, if he allows that, then yeah. for you, it, it's, I mean, it's not the norm. Wow. So in your book, um, I read that you came back to hopefully get your sister out of the Amish community. How was that for you seeing her once you've been out of that community for what? What were you out then by a few years? What before you came back for your sister Samantha, or before you went back to see Samantha? Uh, seven months after I left the Amish, I went back to. Mm. I mean. She thought I was coming to visit, but my intent was to bring her back with me. Okay. So, um, yeah, but, I mean, she didn't come back. I stayed Mm. there for, I think, three days. Uh Uh-huh. And for me, it was terrifying. I was dressed in Amish clothes again. Oh, my gosh. um, Yeah, it was, Uh. I don't think it was a good thing for me to do, Mm -hmm. um, but I tried to coax her to come back. and. Yeah. I mean, she wouldn't. I think is she was too afraid. Is she still in that community? Is she still there? Yeah. She's Amish. She's married. She has three children. So, I mean, she's Ooh. not in the same community. But oh, okay, but Amish. she's part of the Amish. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I, uh, I just, I think it's really, uh, it's, it's really mind-boggling to me that this is, in 2022, this is happening. But, you know, I mean, outside of that community, I didn't know anything about this, you know, other than what I've read about the Amish community. Um, But that's it. So to hear this and read your book all about it was just like, oh, my gosh. Um, And what happens to, you know, like when families are, are, let's say, once the men have been arrested and charged, what happens to that family, to his family? Um, they just go on living in the community. Okay. Uh, usually, for the Amish, I mean, they almost always get minor. They always take plea deals. Like, it uh, rarely goes to trial, ever. Really? They always take a plea deal, confess. Because you're taught, um, it's like forgiveness in the Amish. You're taught if you confess, you'll uh-huh. be forgiven. So they, you're taught that from a kid. You just confess to what you did, yeah. and they confess. And, um, you know, that's another thing in our American society. The judicial system really needs to look at these plea deals. Just because somebody confesses, they mm-hmm. get, I mean, are they really remorseful? They get, um, there was a guy just sentenced 
um, I think it was a couple of days ago, an Amish guy, nine months. He got nine months for wow. um, sexually abusing three girls under the age of 14. Oh, my goodness. He got nine months because he confessed and took a plea deal. Um, the, the guy that I helped put in jail in Ohio, uh-huh. they know that he raped at least um, 12 boys, 12 oh. Amish boys. Holy. Over a period of about 20 years, um, and they said there's most likely dozens more. Um, oh he got gosh. two years. Two years? But he took a plea deal. How is that? And then they get released, and they say, oh, the, they can't have contact with minors under the age of 16. Like this guy that gets nine months, and he gets uh-huh. out, he can't have contact with, but his own children aren't part of that. Uh. And... How do you live in an Amish community and not have contact with minors? I mean, every time you go to church, you're sitting right next to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time you go to a, a community function. Oh, my god! I mean, there's this, every family has 7 to 12 children. There's children everywhere. Wow. I mean, every time you go to help your brother, you're, I mean, there's just children everywhere. Oh, my so, gosh. So, I mean, it's just something that looks good on the books, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. not enforced. and. They get out of jail. They say the judicial system thinks, "Oh, we did our job." They get out of jail, and mm. and one the, the, the I the the case in Ohio. It was an Amish woman that asked me for help in reporting that, mm-hmm. and it took forever to get that case reported. And the after he got two years, she said that people in the community were saying, "Well, what was the point of even doing that?" I mean, if mm. he does do something again and it comes out, right? What's the point of reporting him? I mean, wow. what's the report, point of reporting anyone? Yeah. I yeah. Oh, yeah, especially if you can't, you know, uh, they come back and then they do the same thing again. Um, and so there's no real accountability. I mean, yeah. there's, never, there's never been a proven case where mm-hmm. they have actually proved that uh, a pedophile has been rehabilitated. Mm. Like... Yeah. In order to even try and say that's happened, they would have to be, you know, locked up away from children for years and years with extensive, extensive therapy program, Ugh. some sort of program. But they don't do that. They just put them in jail. Um, you know, maybe they see a psychologist or something, and then they let them out in nine months, two years, five years, whatever. Yeah. They know they're not rehabilitated. Right. And, and what happens to children who report you know, to their parents or, or, you know, once they say something to their parents about someone molesting them, are they even aware that they're, they're being molested? And if they are, is anything helping those kids? Is anything helping them? Anyone helping them because they've been, in, been put in such a position? Um, in rare cases, you see that they're, like, sent to therapy, but usually that's court orders or something like that. Um, but usually the children are just a by, they're not even part of it. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times it's the mom that finds out it's the husband Mm. and she tells the ministers and they, you know, shun him, but the children, no, they, nobody does anything with the children except tell them to be quiet and forgive. Oh, Oh, wow. I mean, that's the most common, like the bishop's wife in my community, she said her mother reported her dad, who was a deacon, five times. She went to, I mean, how much did that take for the mom to go five times over the years, over yeah. several years? Wow. I mean, you know her husband was mad at her for it. Mm. So she went five times to the ministers, and each time they shunned him for six weeks. Mm. And he came back. He did, He never even stopped while he was being shunned. Oh he just gosh. went in front of the church and said, I'm so sorry. Oh. And... Yeah, she said he never stopped. He just went down the line of girls, and wow, that was it. Finally, wow. they were all out of the house, and <laughs> it's like yeah. that's your only no, escape. She said nobody ever came to them. Nobody ever talked to them. Nobody, nobody did anything for the children ever. Oh my goodness! So these kids are growing up already um, traumatized, and then hoping that once they're out of that house, they'll be with a family who is n- not going to do the same things that they did that was done to them. But mm-hmm. then does that happen? Does it, st- does it actually, like, you know, once a girl or a boy goes out of, leaves their um, familial home, 
do they then get married and how many times or what do you think is a percentage of young girls or or yeah young women who leave get married and are then abused as again after that um very very high i mean <sighs> like just take the bishop's wife for example she was very young i mean the the bishop was in his 30s. She was in her early 30s when I was there, and she she got married, and she married a child molester. Her mm-hmm. husband molested almost all of their children. Oh my gosh! And she she ended up being going to the minister and reporting him, and he got shunned for six weeks. So wow. I mean, it was just a circle she was in. And she said she said it happened to my mom, it happened to my grandmother, oh. you know, my sisters. I mean, it was just. The rate oh of child sexual abuse in the Amish is so high because nobody steps in and tries to put a stop to it. I mean, they the boys who are growing up in the Amish, they see it. It's a lot of, like, mm-hmm. um, boys, like 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. they see it at home. They mm-hmm. do it to other their cousins, their their sisters, their cousins. You know, they they molest them, and they I saw it out in the open, and none of none of the parents stepped in and said, "What are you doing? Hmm. You don't, you know, they have this idea. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about anything like that because you're going to put ideas in the kids' heads. Hmm. Look what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. That's hypocritical. <laughs> At the at the least, because you're saying, okay, we're not going to talk about sex, and yet, here you are, <laughs> you know, you're um you're yeah. having sex as as young as ten, eleven, twelve, with your own family sometimes with other. I mean, I I don't know for sure. I don't know that, but it's just first of all, yeah, it's, just, it's a lot oh of times it's older brothers. Uh-huh. A lot of the girls I asked, I said, "How old were you?" And they said. I, the first time I remember was three. Oh my god! But who has a memory? Who who really remembers anything before the age of three? Wow! I mean, it's just that's heartbreaking. Yeah, putting this doc, putting this documentary together. I mean, I threw up so many times oh. like listening to these stories. The the average age was three to six. Oh my god! When they were first raped or abused, and there was this rumor going around where these plain boys they were joking about assaulting toddlers because they wouldn't remember so they would assault the toddlers and then they would just go to the next toddler oh my god and i i totally believe it because i interviewed over a hundred people for this documentary i mean you only saw a few in there Uh but the ones that i talked to i mean so many people said three like when was your first memory three it might have been before, but the first real memory I have is at three. Oh my! Gosh. I mean, I just I have a toddler son. I'm just like, yeah. I mean, even now I feel sick in my stomach. Like, how could you do that? And you know, I see how these boys acted when I was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. boys are not reprimanded when it comes to issues of sex ever, ever. Mm. So they're just really sort of vulgar and open, and they they don't they don't have any respect for younger children, for girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's zero respect there. Wow. And, you know, there's a lot of older kids bullying younger kids. Mm. Um, so many people told me about when they were six, seven, five, mm-hmm. and older kids, like 12 years old, you know, usually older boys were telling them to do stuff to each other. And it was all happening out in the barn. And the parents, they were kids at one time, the same thing was happening. They know that these things happen in the barn. They mm-hmm. know about this stuff, mm-hmm. and they just don't. They have zero interest in putting a stop to it. And to me, that seems like a crime for these mm-hmm. boys, mm-hmm. these 11, 12, 13-year-old boys. Right. They know what they're doing is wrong, but I don't think that they know the extent of how wrong it is. Yeah. So to me... You know, when they come up and grow up and be adult and they remember what they did, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a shame because, yeah. I, you know, they're going to feel guilt. They're going to realize really, really what they did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that parents didn't step in and stop it and say, hey, that's bad behavior. You know, you never do something like that. Wow. You know, that's a big failure on the parents' part. Holy. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I'm just like in really 
I'm in shock because of all the things I'm hearing from you, but I, I guess in a way, you know, I'm not because it's it's hard to even, like, even outside of the Amish community, it's hard to get the predators, <laughs> you know, in, in normal circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's it's even worse from what I'm hearing from you about even getting just the parents to admit something's going on and and not doing anything about it. I, 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 oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So I also read you found your brother throughout this whole thing. I mean, is it, is it true that he, did he read your book? Is that how he found out about you or some, or what were the circumstances of him finding you again? Um, yeah, so my brother, he had been taken away by the FBI and, oh, wow. oh, no, sorry, my brother, my mom, my mom had three children with her stepfather um, oh, wow. and she ran away with him and ended up marrying him. I mean, it's just, uh-huh. yeah, but my brother was born when she was 15, so she, um, my grandmother adopted him. Mm. And then when he was two years old, my mom and my my dad, which was her stepdad, mm-hmm. kidnapped him. And they went on the run with him. My brother was actually one of the first milk carton kids. Um, oh. So, yeah, my grandmother um, knew that he was in danger because my dad was dangerous. So she contacted the FBI and they were searching for him for two years. So mm-hmm. when he was four, I was two. Um, they finally located us in Kansas, and the FBI took him away. Mm. And, um, yeah, so I saw him off and on until I was about nine years old. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would visit my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we lost contact, you know, and he had actually been trying to find me for, like, ten years already. Wow. Um, and one day he just went on the Internet again uh-huh. and put in my name uh-huh. because he had my birth certificate. Um, my grandma, she had like a trunk with all of our stuff in it. And me and my sister's birth certificate was in there for some reason. So he had my full name. He just kept typing it into Google over the years. Mm -hmm. And finally, after I published my book, a couple of years after I published my book, Mm -hmm. it, my name popped up with the book. So Mm. that's how he was able to contact me. Wow. Were you, were you surprised to hear from him? What, I mean... Because you hadn't been in touch with him for um, years. I didn't think it was really, I thought it was somebody faking or I mm-hmm. thought maybe it was my mom. Mm-hmm. I was very leery. So I sent them a, an email address and um, emailed back and forth for a while mm-hmm. before I finally took the phone call because wow. I was afraid wow. that it was some sort of scam of some sort. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. I mean, I asked like, "What was your what was your grandma's name?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, asked him a lot of questions that only he would really know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it oh, was him. That's awesome. You know, uh, yeah. I oh, wow. I'm glad that you found your or he found you. I'm glad that you found each other again. Um, yeah. So before you became a writer. Um, one of the things I read was that you wanted to work in a mission or to be, you know, um, when you first got out or when you finally got your um, GED and passed it and on, you wanted to work in a mission. Was that something that just, why did you want to work in a mission and for how long were you in uh, working in that mission? Um, it's just something I always wanted to do. I didn't know um, exactly how I wanted to help people. I just always had that drive to want to help people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was nine years old, I picked up this National Geographic, and you know it would have been like the late '80s, early '90s, mm-hmm. and um, this it showed this um, story about these doctors that were down in Africa helping the AIDS patients, mm-hmm. and for some reason that always just stuck in my mind and that's one reason I'm a nurse today um, oh, is yeah. because of that picking up that National Geographic and I just had this idea in my head that I can help people too mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. I always just thought that would be through doing some like sort of missionary work or medical missionary work or right. something like that. But uh-huh. um, I, I did it for six months and okay. it was, I mean, it was great. I enjoyed it, but you know, there's reality. You have to be able to survive. You mm-hmm. have, I mean, you have to get a job unless you're sponsored by a church. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had to come back to the States. I was in Brazil, but I had to come oh. back to the States and get a job. And, uh-huh. You know, I got married and mm-hmm. life happens. Yeah. And, yep. yeah, oh. I did set out to help people, but it was on a whole different path than I ever, ever imagined. Mm. I never imagined I would be advocating for, you know, children's rights and, right. you know, stop child abuse. And, yeah. I mean, that's something that. When I was a kid, I didn't even know you could do. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know that was something that somebody could do. But mm-hmm. I just always had that drive to want to do something. And wow. I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you are a registered nurse and, and you are helping, you know, you are helping people, which is, I guess, the driving force for you, right? I mean, you always want to um, make sure someone's taking care of of who are um, people who are in need. Or, yeah, I mean, people you know. always ask me, what is the driving force? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I've had, you know, I had a third grade education and, you know, all of that stuff, but I guess I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one of the things that really drives me is, I mean, I I think because I was a kid and nobody helped me, and I Mm. know how devastating my childhood was. I mean, how devastating. I mean, I tried to commit suicide multiple times, Mm. and I just remember, you know, when you're a kid, time passes much slower than, I mean, when you're an adult, 18 years can go by, Mm -hmm. a blink Mm -hmm. of an eye. But when you're a kid going from the age of 4 to 18, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an eternity. Eternity. Mm. So, you know, I just remember the years passing one after the other, being in isolation, you know, not having any chances, not having, not having anything, not having, you know, being beaten every day, being molested, you know, having no hope, no hope for the future, no way to get out. Mm. And it just hurts me so much to think there are other kids like yeah. that. Yeah. Nobody's helping them. Nobody's, do- I mean, they're just going day after day in these abusive situation and when you're a kid being beaten I mean imagine I mean for it to be the same as an adult you Mm -hmm. would need somebody like at least three times your size three times your weight Mm -hmm. I mean beating you with a belt or a stick I mean how if an adult were treated that way it would be tortured I mean that person was tortured and some kids in these strict religious communities they Mm -hmm. are treated like that multiple times a day it's painful it's excruciating and the fear, the mm. fear of it is one of the most harmful. I mean, I remember, like, I would break a plate and I would freeze with fear and start crying because mm. I knew I was going to get hit, like, 20, 30 times. I mean, oh, wow. that's just a normal reaction. So mm. thinking about other kids in that situation, and I just feel so sad. And I feel so sad that nobody steps in and does anything. I mean, we've known about this for how many years in the United States? I mean, the CAPTA was born in 1974 where, you know, people mandated reporters, you have to report child abuse and neglect. And nobody thought about it's not going to reach these kids in these religious communities. Mm. I mean, why do kids in religious communities not deserve any resources? I mean, it's just... It doesn't stop at the federal level. It doesn't stop at the door of religion. I mean, it should be for every child in yeah. the United States. Every child should have a chance. Hmm. I mean, not having a chance is, I mean, that's one of the things that really hurt as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. knowing nobody was looking for me. Nobody was coming to help me. I mean, just, there was nobody. Wow. I mean, knowing that was terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oof. Oh man, um, it, it, so since you know, since of the Amish um, has aired, has anyone approached you to further your petition? Hashtag Invisible. Uh, I've had a few people. Like I, I did a press release. Mm-hmm. I did, um, you know, different things. Mm-hmm. But 
the media just really shies away from it. Um, I have a, a, a podcast coming up with um, a celebrity mm. um, in the next few few weeks, so mm-hmm. hopefully that'll do something. Right. Um, I've had a couple people write about it, but I'm currently I'm contacting I'm contacting celebrities because mm. you know if celebrities get behind things they mm-hmm. tend to take off. So yeah. I'm actually calling publicists right now of different celebrities, um, you know, um, daytime, nighttime talk shows, mm-hmm. and trying to get somebody behind this. Yeah. And you know yeah. it shouldn't be this hard to raise awareness about child abuse. It shouldn't be this hard, right? Um, but it is. It, yeah. And if you want to report child abuse, it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to do anything around child abuse, mm-hmm. you better be determined and really be in there for the fight because it's very hard. Yeah. And wow, yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm doing what I can. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm glad you are. I'm so glad that you are because this is such a huge issue. Not yeah, and and these children really have to be that <laughs> they have to be helped and they have to be cared for i mean especially in a community where they're not really seen as as people <laughs> you know they're not really i mean that's my opinion i know that but you know i, I have a daughter and i can't even i can't even imagine if anything happened to her what i would you know how i would be because i i Oof, I, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but, and, and, but I'm so glad that you're doing everything that you can to make sure that those children's voices are being heard. You know, um, whew, um, Thank you. well, so in your opinion, is there someone you would credit for where you are now? Um... I mean, when I tried to leave the Amish, I had several women Mm -hmm. that were in my life for, like, a a small period of time that helped me on my way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But one person, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I just had this drive to just never give up. I mean, it was really hard to come out here. And, uh, you know, I got that first help from these couple women who helped me but mm-hmm. after that yeah. I I worked 14 hours a day I you know went to school worked at night mm-hmm. um, I just I had a drive to succeed and I mm-hmm. think that's why I did because yeah. I just never I just never gave up and you know, yeah. that's what I would tell everybody you are your you know they say you are your your problem and you're your solution I mean mm-hmm. if you get up and try to do something and give it all you have mm-hmm. I mean you mm-hmm. can you wow. can do that so that's I what I that. did I worked very very hard yeah I think about how hard I work it's just well, I don't know but I well, did it and yeah and that's incredible I, I mean the fact that you are where you are now you know I mean it's really incredible because had you not fought your way out of there, you know, you'd still be there probably, you know, but you had, I, in your head, you were like, okay, this is not, this is not the way I want to live. <laughs> this is not for me. Um, and I can't even imagine, you know, what you have gone through, but I am so glad that you're out of there and you are now like speaking up for all of these children who are still in there. So I, I'm yeah, so grateful fine. for that, for you. Um, oh, um, so going forward, I mean, what do you want to do next? I mean, you have the documentary out, you have your book out. What's next for Misty? Um, I'm looking, maybe there will be a, a second season of Sins of the Amish. Maybe. Oh, okay. um, there's talks. Oh, wow. uh, there might be a, a second season. Okay. And um, I've written a script about my memoir. So uh-huh. um, I teamed up with a Emmy Award winning scriptwriter. So we're cool. trying to see if that'll get traction. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm working on my master's in nursing. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I just started, started that. Good for I you. I have a one and a half year old son. 
And yeah, you're not I'm busy. Just you're not busy. The extra, yeah. You're not the busy. The extra time I have, I'm working the phone. Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm going to call the ACLU. I'm going to call UNICEF, and mm. I'm calling celebrities. I'm just trying to get anybody I can behind this petition because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, these are human rights violations. Yes. I mean, these are serious human rights violations that everybody is turning a blind eye to. I mean, the government yeah. knows about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know this is happening, mm-hmm. but yeah. nobody's willing to stick even their toe in there and try and figure out. I mean, part of the problem is, is it's such a big problem. I mean, mm-hmm. where do you start? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go to one Amish community and you ask all the kids, what's the percentage of them are going to be sexual abuse survivors? And once you find that out, what are you supposed to do what is the government supposed to do you you would need to take them out of the home you would have to put them in foster homes Mm -hmm. you would have to investigate you have to make arrests i mean it's such a huge huge problem it's not just the amish it's just nationwide Mm -hmm. different religious groups so right that's part of the issue it is such a big problem but just because something is a big problem doesn't mean you ignore it and go work on something else yeah so yeah. I'm just doing everything I can to get the American people behind this and have them outrage, and hopefully that will force Congress' mm. hand and government's hand, you know, somebody's hand to say, okay, we finally we got to do something about this. Oh. So that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. In my spare time. <laughs> <laughs> and between that, you get some sleep. Hopefully, hopefully you get some rest. Um, so. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so from your book, there's this quote that stood out to me. Um, in, in the quotes, in the end, you are accountable for, your, for how your life turns out. Do not ever let anyone make you feel you are less worthy for every man, woman, and child should have the same rights in this world. We were all born into the world the same way and will all depart from it, one no better than the other. How does that translate in your life now? Um, Do you still? Yeah, I, I remember mean, writing that. Yeah, I mean that's the. Um, I just, I just feel like that, you know, there's some people at the top that make rules, and you know, everybody's the same. Everybody deserves the same thing. Everybody deserves the same treatment. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's your church, whether it's your government, you know, no matter who it is, if mm-hmm. they are saying you don't deserve what somebody else has, yeah. that's not true. And that's one reason I'm fighting for child rights, because they also deserve safety and protection and, you know, everything an adult. You know, yeah. you have women's marches in the streets. You have marches for all kinds of stuff. But mm-hmm. where's the marches for children? Mm-hmm. So I think that's how it translates in my life today is it's for everybody no matter your age no matter your race your gender your ethnicity no matter what we're mm-hmm. all the same mm-hmm. and we all deserve safety at a minimum so yeah. that's yeah. what i'm fighting for would you like to have a movement um just like the women's rights movement would you like to start something that is all about child rights um, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm trying to do with this petition. You know, get enough people behind it and have it like a, a child you know, rights march in D.C. That's what I'm hoping for, okay. to, okay. you know, to really bring this in front of the nation. And it's not just the United States. You have right. to start somewhere. So I'm starting the United States, but this needs to be global. Yeah. You know, children deserve rights. They are human beings. Mm-hmm. And especially for people who, you know, are, you know, out there saying, oh, you know, life starts at conception. Okay, so mm. when when does your human rights kick in? Does mm. it kick in at conception? Does it kick in when you're 14, when yeah. you're 10? I mean, this is something we need to define. Right. When do children become deserving of rights? And if they are deserving of those rights, if they are deserving of human rights, yeah. then where are the people to make sure that they have it? They, they can't claim mm. it for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're dependent on other people. So. Right. I love that. If they deserve human rights, then the government needs to make sure that they have it. Mm -hmm. And right now, that's not what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not not happening. Oh, okay. Um, So you mentioned before your website, but is there any other way um, if people wanted to get a hold of or wanted to learn more about your book and your petition? 
how would they go about it? Um, everything website. is on my website. That's okay. the best way to contact me, to, to read about me. To, I mean, I'm not an organization. I'm mm-hmm. just really a person trying to, you know, I don't, I don't get donations. I don't, you know, I don't get anything. I'm mm-hmm. just a person trying to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what some people said that they really liked about it was that, you know, I'm, I'm not profiting from this anyway. I'm really trying to make this happen mm-hmm. and get people in front of it and out there talking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, if you just go to my website, mistygriffin.com, mm-hmm. you can read all about it and sign the petition and go out and talk about it yourself you know that's what i want i want people to go out and talk about it why it's important to them and Mm -hmm. you know it's not about me it's about all these kids all these children yeah getting the story out okay oh okay so if you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago what would it be um yeah i guess i guess probably that's a hard one i mean we all have things we wish we would change we mm-hmm. could change yeah for sure um but for me probably um when i when i went to the police mm-hmm. i didn't know how to report and i just think back about all the blunders that i made that maybe could have saved the bishop's children mm. and Yeah, I mean, when I went to the police, they said, oh, we need evidence. You know, we can't go arrest this man with no evidence. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had evidence on me, but I was so indoctrinated. You know, I had bruises all over my breast. I was was so indoctrinated that I didn't think to show these male detectives Mm -hmm. these bruises in my torn dress. I mean, Mm. it's weird. It never even crossed my mind. Mm. Um, But... Yeah, that's something that I always wish I'd just done that, you know? Yeah. Some of the some of the children that um were he molested that we found out years later he molested weren't even born yet at that time. So Wow. I mean if I would have showed the police that then probably they would have arrested him. Oh and my gosh. done something. Oof. That you know, I didn't know and that's something that, you know, if there's any law enforcement listening, you know, it's when you have women coming out of religious groups, they don't know how to report most of the time. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to be the one who who digs in there and tries to, you know, ask the right questions and find stuff out. And, yeah. you know, there needs to be more women in law enforcement that mm-hmm. can handle these cases. Because mm-hmm. if it had been a woman, then mm-hmm. I might have thought of it or, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Other questions. Just needs to be more there needs to be more women involved in these sexual abuse cases that, mm-hmm. um, you know, involve women. If it's a woman, especially from a religious community, coming to report, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so helpful if there's a woman in law enforcement that could, you know, could talk to her. And, right. you know, it's not that male, you know, law enforcement are not effective, but mm-hmm. for me, it was so intimidating to have this man talking to me and. Right coming from that culture where, you know, men are dominant and, you know, brush off anything you say and, Mm. you know, put you down and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. It was very intimidating and it was ineffective. Mm -hmm. It was, it was ineffective. Nothing was done. He escaped to Canada. Oh my gosh. Um, And, you know, I just think back if it had been a woman on the other side talking to me, she would have known probably Mm -hmm. ways to communicate with me Mm -hmm. and maybe we could have saved from children. I mean, wow. yeah. Oh, well, okay. Um, so if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? Um, I would just tell myself not to give up. I mean, there were so many times where I came very close to committing suicide and I didn't, but mm. the thought was there for a long time because, I mean, there was no way out. Yeah. Especially after I joined the Amish, you're taught if you leave the Amish, you're mm-hmm. going to hell. People commit suicide because they feel like their situation is hopeless. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt. It, it felt like there was no way out. From my childhood, when I joined the Amish, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, there's no way out. Like, where do you go from a situation like that? How do you get out? Yeah. How do you how do you get out in the first place? I mean, you just get right. out and walk down the road, mm. um, you know, 
you don't know how to live in the outside world. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I left, it was very scary and, and difficult. I mm-hmm. mean, you don't know what to do. So wow. I would just encourage myself not to give up, that I would leave one day, and mm-hmm. here I am. You know, I'm so happy to be in this position. It's it's difficult to raise awareness about child abuse, but I'm so happy to be here and possibly have the opportunity to save a child. You know, I've yeah. already helped in several child abuse cases behind the scenes people have contacted me for help so that's awesome that gives me hope that you can change the scenario Mm -hmm. you know my childhood would have been different if somebody Mm -hmm. would have stepped in and helped me and you know I can be that person for somebody else so I would just encourage myself to keep going Mm. That's awesome. I don't know what else I could tell No, no I, I love that. No, thank you. And, you know, so, I mean, you were think you were talking about, you know, there were times when you thought about committing suicide, and I'm so glad you didn't. But what is the percentage of suicide rates in the Amish community or in the community you were in? Is that high? Is it high as well? Um, so in the Amish, suicide is very, very um, bad thing to do. Mm. Like it's worse than murder. Wow. Like if you commit suicide and it's proven that it was suicide, you don't get a, you don't get buried next to your family. You don't get a funeral. Really? I mean, it's just yeah, you're you're buried somewhere in an unknown grave. I mean, oh you're. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I maybe it's to. Um, people from doing it uh-huh. but yeah you're a disgrace nobody talks about you after that unless wow. they're whispering and it's just you're just a disgrace that you did that so oh my gosh. Um, a lot of times families if it is suicide they'll try to um, cover it up hmm. and oh she died in her sleep <clears throat> we found her like this in bed wow. we don't know um, oh my yeah gosh. but I've heard of you know many suicides um, but I don't think there's anybody that really knows the percentage mm-hmm. because it's considered such a, an evil thing to do. Wow. And, you know, you're told you're going to hell. Like, uh-huh. it's, it's talked yeah. about. Like, yeah. it's, it's the one thing that's actually talked about quite a bit that I find surprising because mm. I think there are so many suicidal people. Like, the, the woman who adopted me in the Amish, she was suicidal. Mm. We always thought she was going to commit suicide. Her husband talked about it. Like she's going to commit suicide one of these days. Wow. You know, she might do it tomorrow. I mean, it was like, I think he wanted her to do it. I don't know. Oh my gosh. But um, I think there are a lot of suicidal people, and I think that that's why it's talked about. My community talked about it all the time. Mm. Oh, remember this person? You know, whispering, oh, remember that person? Mm. Yeah. I mean, but you're just a disgrace, and you know that. You know that that will be your legacy. You'll be a disgrace. Um, wow. So I don't know if it prevents it. I mean, it didn't prevent me from thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, who cares? You're dead. Wow. <laughs> so, oh. But um, I just know that a lot of them are covered up. So okay. um, oh, the, wow. the other people don't find out that it's been a suicide. Oh, my gosh. Well, Misty, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your life with me and and. I am so in awe of you and and everything that you've done to get to this point. And I'm so glad you escaped and that now you are like the mouthpiece, hopefully, for so many children who are being abused and who need child rights and who need to be heard and seen. Um, but I so appreciate all that you've done so far. And, I, and, and if you do have another book in you, you know, please let me know. And, you know, I can't wait to uh, hear more about second season of Sins of the Amish. And if anyone has not seen it, please see it or read her book. It will definitely, uh, you will learn so much just reading her book about that community and why it's so important that um, you hopefully can help her out with her petition, hashtag invisible, because sh- children should not be invisible. Children are people as well. Um, and they, ne- they need rights. They, they should have rights. 
Um, so thank you for coming on and for shedding some light into this. And um, I wish you so much luck. And I, I really hope that, you know, this is just the start of something and uh, it'll, create a, it'll create something that will hopefully be a movement. So thank um, you. Oh, you are so welcome. And, uh, you know, if you need to learn more about Misty, um, please go on her site. And with that, um, have a good day, and I will speak with you soon. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Misty Griffin on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. <laughs>